This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, who gave Chekhov a sword? Hello everybody, welcome back to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review show where we're putting the humanities back into science fiction. My name is Gep, and I am joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week we watched one of the all-time classic remembered episodes that has some sort of actual message and point it's mm-hmm. making. And I understood the message and point it was making, even though it was a little ham-fisted with it. It, like set out with the thing and then did that thing which is an interesting change for this series yeah there's a complete follow-through holy crap this is an episode called day of the dove there are no birds in this by the way yeah i was disappointed (laughs) it was written by jerome bixby who wrote all of the mere universe episodes also wrote by any other name and we still have one more episode coming up from him called requiem for methuselah yes and he also wrote the band from earth which we've also covered yes so very very good writer i've liked a lot of his stuff indeed now we've only got a few guest stars so i'll just cover them pretty quickly uh, first guest star is Michael Asra playing Kang, who also appeared as Kang in DS9 and Voyager. There's a flashback in Voyager, right? Yes. Isn't that the one with Tuvok reliving memories or something? Can't remember Probably. now. Probably. I thought this was kind of interesting just of the time period. He was originally from somewhere around Lebanon, but immigrated to the U.S. as a very, very young child. But because he was of Lebanese descent, he was cast as a lot of non-white characters in Westerns because we will hire someone from Lebanon to play a Native American, but God forbid we hire a Native American to play a Native American. (sighs) Yeah, it's a little ridiculous. A little bit. But he also got to play a Klingon, so that was fun. I, I will say uh, he has also showed up in a number of other uh, uh, kind of cool ro- uh, roles. He was uh, uh, Mr. Freeze in the Batman the Animated Series. He also shows up in Babylon 5 as a, a techno mage. <laughs> that series sounds fun. The other guest star that we have is Susan Howard as Mara, who is King's wife. Uh, Her major TV appearances are that later on in her career, she was known as the main character on the TV drama Dallas. Donna Culver Krebs, or Krebs, Krebs, Krebs? I've never seen nor heard of the TV drama Dallas, except for some people who showed up on this show later were on it. I've seen some episodes of Dallas. It was something. (laughs) I rather remember anything else. But uh, this was earlier in her career before she was well-known for that role. So she actually hadn't been in as much before being on Star Trek. Uh, She was also in the most important television show show of all time, The Love Boat, so we cannot forget that. It is probably one of the more influential shows, if you think about it. It's like the one everyone has heard of. 1980-something show about a a cruise ship, I guess, that everyone just kind of knows about. Yeah. (laughs) I also recently saw that they, they made one that was like the love boat but on a weird futuristic cyber train hmm. i just saw they they had an article about how they thought they'd lost the model for the train and then it showed up in somebody's like warehouse storage garage and it's this great collector's piece because of this weird sci-fi looking train but it wasn't even a sci-fi show it was just like the love boat but on a train 
That's kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was so weird. When I first saw it, I was like, oh my god, did they do Knight Rider but on a train? Because I've seen Knight Rider but on a boat and Knight Rider but on a helicopter, but never Knight Rider but on a train. I guess Knight Rider but on a train might be a little limited due to the whole track nature. You would think so. But every time they had Knight Rider on a something, like every time they did Knight Rider on a boat, they're like, oh, the bad guys got away up this canal. You know, they'd just find a reason for them to be near train tracks and it would be hilarious. Yes. <laughs> it's like, why does this keep happening? I don't know, but it works. <laughs> anyway, we aren't talking about Knight Rider yet. Yes. So I suppose we should just jump in because this one actually has themes and such. Yeah, let's roll. And we join Kirk, McCoy, Chekhov, and a few guards as they beam down to a seemingly deserted planet. They apparently received a distress call from a Federation colony about being under attack from an unknown force, but it has now disappeared without trace. Oh no, the unknown force is gone. Wait a moment. Yeah, like what could destroy an entire colony and make it look like nothing was ever here? Hmm. Crop circles. Oh, crop circles. <laughs> While they're wandering around, a Klingon ship suddenly arrives and is suddenly badly damaged. Hmm. They scan explosions and such going on on the enemy ship. I don't know. It seems they're in trouble. Um, should we, should we like try to rescue them or something or offer us some help? Well, before they can do anything, a lot of Klingons beam down, led by Kang, who blames Kirk for attacking his ship and luring them to this planet with a phony distress signal, which Kirk denies immediately. But Kang now claims the Enterprise as this attack was a blatant act of war on the Klingon Empire. Well, I, I guess, you know, given Kirk's track record, Kang is probably making, uh, you know, uh, you know, just playing the odds here, you know? Fairly accurate assumption, yeah. <laughs> so Kang will now pick some members of the crew to torture to death until Kirk agrees to beam them all aboard the Enterprise. I wonder if they have pain sticks. No, not yet. Pain somethings. Yeah, it's like a pain face buzzer. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the things that they had in the Mirror Universe episode, which... Does Bixby just have a thing for this? Maybe? There's a small standoff until Chekhov starts yelling about how the Klingons killed his brother and that they should all die as, like, animals for killing his family. In response, King orders Chekhov to be the one who is tortured, and they put a small head buzzer doodah box on his forehead, and then Kirk gives in to stop the torturing, which King berates him for, going, ah, Klingons would have let my entire crew be tortured to death. Um, Klingon crew that serves under this guy, how do you feel about him now? It kind of uh, made me wonder how they developed this strategy in the first place. A little bit. <laughs> Like, no, anytime I fought Klingons, this would never have worked. I've tried it, and it never works. <laughs> I don't know why I keep trying. Well, I guess, you know, it hasn't really been established yet, but Klingons have been sort of fighting anybody nearby for ages, so I guess they probably would have figured it out that way. But they also have a lot of internal strife. So, you know, but that stuff we find out sort of later. So The Kirk orders Spock to beam them all aboard, but he holds down a button on the communicator to signal Spock that something is wrong, which finally they have some sort of way to signal each other when something's going wrong. Yes, uh, it's about time they learned that lesson. They're all beamed up and a weird ball of light appears and starts to follow them. Spock beams up the crew, but leaves the Klingons in suspension until they can call in some guards. Wait, you can do that? Apparently. This would be very useful. Let's make sure this comes back later at some point. They're making up the transporter rules as we go along here. <laughs> Chekhov demands that they just kill the Klingons. Let them be in non-existence forever and never rematerialize them. But Kirk ignores this blatantly horrible thing to do. All right. Good, good on Kirk here. Chekhov, you need to, like, chill out, man. Yeah. 
They capture all the Klingons from the planet, and then since their ship is too badly damaged for them to go back to, they start beaming aboard the rest of the crew, including Kang's wife, science officer Mara. The Klingons are held in one of the rec rooms. I guess they don't have a big enough brig or something. Because there's like 30-some of them, 40 maybe? Yeah. The ball of light is still hanging around as the crew discusses what to do since they can't contact Starfleet Command. Chekhov is still angry and thinks the Klingons lured them there to start a war, but then blame them for it, and McCoy agrees. Kirk and Spock are just, like, trying to be slightly level-headed, which is weirdly out of character for Kirk. It's almost like he's, uh, you know, showcasing some leadership to, you know, skills here that maybe you should be the one who's, you know, not just kind of jumping to all sorts of conclusions. That's kind of everyone else's job while you sort of sit out sort out the mess yeah is this the only is this the episode that like everyone remembers when they talk about how kirk makes decisions and talks things over and tries to figure out what's going on maybe (laughs) so far this is the only time i've seen it happen there's been some attempts previously but there's still it didn't really follow through very well so apparently the klingon ship is dangerously leaking radiation and such so they blow it up just because and then leave uh, I guess we can't just fly away and let it orbit there until somebody drops by and pick it up or fix it or something. It's not long until the engine room goes crazy and the ship begins to fly out of the galaxy again. Again. <laughs> How many times this season has this happened? <laughs> you know, I was thinking about this and I, I was falling into the same 2D plane problem that they always have on this show. Like, how are they always flying out the side of the galaxy? But I was thinking about, like, relatively dealing with the distances that they travel on this show. If you just pointed your ship, like, perpendicular to the galactic center, you would be out of the galaxy in no time. Yeah, relatively. It'd still take a while, but, you know, the fastest way to get there. But given how, how far they travel laterally to get from planet to planet... Most of the time. Hundreds of light years, but the, the, the galaxy is actually pretty thick. And in addition to all of the engine problems, most of the crew is suddenly trapped below deck because of door malfunction. Well, um, is there an emergency release on these doors or? Uh... No one knows. That seems like a fire hazard to me. Kirk confronts Kang, believing that the Klingons must have beamed aboard some secret operatives or something somewhere and sabotaged the ship. Oh no. Kirk responds to this by punching Kang in the face. Well, Kang did kind of just walk up to him and punch him in the face earlier, so I guess this is kind of fair. Yeah, a little bit. Then suddenly all of the games and plants in the room turn into swords. Our wildest dreams have finally come true. We could finally enact the society of creative anachronisms in the future. The Klingons grab all of the swords. Kirk pulls out phasers, but those also turn into swords. Well, this is a little weird. They barely escape into the turbo lift, and now the Klingons control the rec rooms. I guess we're not going to be uh, enjoying our time on the ship anymore, because the rec rooms are all filled with Klingons. Kirk starts ranting about how the Klingons must have planned all this, because they know how to use swords better than the Federation does, but Spock points out that no one they know has the technology to do this, and if they did, they would make something more useful than a sword. Because <laughs> this is a... You, you, you would just say you know, make guns for the Klingons and just take away the phasers and not replace them with swords. Yeah. Kirk orders a full scan of the ship to track Klingon movements. Also, they try to get the men out of the lower decks, but it turns out that with the men down there trapped, they now have exactly equal numbers to the Klingons that they brought aboard. And they're all armed with the same kinds of weapons. So it's even odds. We're also humans. 
And Klingons are good at stabbing people. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe it's not a fair as it seems. Possibly an issue. Kirk orders Sulu to go to engineering, but Chekhov jumps up and demands that he can go so he can settle a score with those dirty Klingons and runs off. All right, well, uh, I guess he's going to get himself killed. Um, how are everybody else doing? Sulu asks, what the frick is up with, with Chekhov? So what's his problem? <laughs> Kirk explains about Chekhov's brother, and Sulu goes, but Chekhov is an only child. Uh-oh, something screwy's going on here. Or, then this could be another thing. They're not that good of workplace friends, and he didn't want to bring up his dead brother, so he tells people he's an only child so he doesn't have to talk about it. Sulu, you need to be a better friend. <laughs> I mean, they obviously are implying that's not what's happening, but since Sulu seems to be the only one who knows whether or not Chekhov has a brother. Poor Chekhov. He has no friends, except kind of Sulu, I guess. Hmm. It's kind of depressing now. In sickbay, McCoy is also very angry. All these guys are being stabbed, and I have to go fix them up? Jeepers. I'm, I think it's supposed to be extra angry, because they keep showing everyone have outbursts and be angry. But this is very, very normal level of angry for McCoy. So, t this scene, you're angry. How do I become more angry? Um... I, I don't know. Just just try. <laughs> yeah, the entire season, the entire episode is like, oh, Hura has an has an angry rant at the console, which is very unlike her, and Kirk is like making weird decisions, which is somewhat unlike him. McCoy is McCoy. Yep. <laughs> so no change there. All right, you seem fine. Okay, moving on. The Klingons take a science station and now also have the layout of the ship and know about equal numbers and make a plan to take engineering. Well, I guess it's good that uh, Chekhov went down there to stab people. Scotty reports that they have been trying to free the trapped crew members, but something happened to the metal on the ship or their tools or both because they just can't get through the metal anymore. Have you tried a pickaxe? Also, the armory is now filled with a lot of swords. I guess you have a, uh, an axe of some sort here. <laughs> yeah, every weapon on the ship has been changed to a sword. Although there was a couple axes in the background, but people kind of ignored those. What I thought was particularly kind of funny, and maybe it's just because I've been watching the HD versions of this, all of the swords are very, very blatantly super fake-looking wooden swords. Yep. Except for the one that Scotty grabs. Which yes. is the only sword that seems to be made of metal in the entire lot. And when he fights people, it's just blatantly obvious. <laughs> it's like, yeah, don't actually stab anyone, please. Like, it's obviously also blunted, but he has a real metal sword and everyone else has big, chunky wooden swords. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little uh, hilarious, all this. Uh, and, uh, you know, there is, uh, I guess, uh, he, he calls it a claymore, but it's... Uh, not like the traditional sort of like 1400s sort of claymore. It's like the later uh, Elizabethan uh, era sort of stuff there. So yeah, it's like a, a bit of factoid. really chunky rapier. More nimble, much shorter than the five foot massive pile of steel that is a uh, you know sort of old school claymores. But I think claymore is one of those things where it's just like Celtic for the word sword. So technically, it's like anything in that region. I think you're right. Actually, yeah, I forgot had forgotten that. Don't anyway. quote me on that, because I haven't looked it up, but I, I seem to remember this. Yeah, I, I think someone told this to me before, I just didn't remember it. <laughs> so we could both be very wrong. Yes, or we could both be right. You might be wrong, but you may be right. Do, 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 do. <laughs> so Scotty goes back to engineering, 
hangs around for 10 seconds or so before they're all jumped by Klingons and they're forced to abandon engineering. Well, I guess the Klingons are just going to, you know, fix all the engine problems we've been having. And we... well, the Klingons now have complete <laughs> control of all of the ship's power. Mm -hmm. Spock's finally finished his analysis and has found additional life forms other than themselves in the Klingons. Uh-oh, there is infiltrators of some sort. And he says, there's a large disparity, and Kirk goes, how large a disparity? It's like, there's one extra thing. Oh, well, okay, that's not very large at all. That's, or did you mean, like, large as in volume? <laughs> so there's probably some sort of energy being running around, is what we're getting at here. Yes. <laughs> Which we've seen. The little, the little ball of light has been around. Yeah, we occasionally just sort of cut to it, just floating down a corridor or hovering over a room. Kirk thinks that this energy being may be the real problem and they should maybe try to make peace with the Klingons to sort out this energy alien thing they got going here. But then McCoy appears and goes, what? Peace with Klingons? Mmm, harumph, I say. Impossible. It's like, yeah, McCoy, we, we get it. You, don't, you hate people just in general. Mm -hmm. uh, can, we, can we work through the actual problem here first, though? But before they can deal with any of that, Kang calls and tells them that they have control of the power now and they've turned off life support to everything except for the Klingon-controlled areas of the ship, so good luck with that. Well, I guess we're just going to die here. That's something. Scotty gets really angry and says that he should have agreed with Chekhov and never let the Klingons live in the first place. And Spock points out that their minds seem to be being affected by the alien thingy-mabob. Scotty gets outright racist against him, and Spock finally snaps and starts to try to kill Scotty with his bare hands. I guess we know what, uh, you know, Spock's uh, berserker button is now. Mm-hmm. Scotty is about to get his lights punched out, but then Kirk puts a stop to things and goes, Hey, we're all acting really, really, really not like how we were trained to act, which is to, you know, stop wars, not get all violent at each other. Yeah, we're, we're at each other's throats. There's, you know, a, you know, a large contingent of Cleons on board as an energy being that's messing with our minds and our ship. Also, we're flying you know, out of the galaxy at a very high rate and uh, maybe want to stop that. So now they know the alien is the problem, but they don't have power, so they can't track it. So Sulu's mm -hmm. sent out to repair things, but is getting nowhere until power suddenly comes back on, even though he didn't do anything to fix it. Uh, Sulu, you're a miracle worker? <laughs> Kirk orders them to immediately start tracking the alien, and in engineering, Kang is very nonplussed about how they lost control of the power again, and sends Mara and one of the guards off to destroy the main power console things elsewhere in the ship. Mm -hmm. Spock detects the alien near engineering, and he and Kirk head out. The energy ball thing is just randomly heading down a hallway where Chekhov it finally comes back. Chekhov, you've been creeping around. What are you doing here? Yeah, we, aren't, we, do, we don't like this scene. Yeah. Chekhov comes in, finds Mirara, kills the guard, pins her against the wall, Decides it'd be a great idea to do some good old-fashioned war atrocity raping on her. Rips her clothes just as Kirk comes in and knocks him out. And then goes, oh my god, I'm sorry I knocked him out! He was just trying to sexually assault someone. So bad of me to punch him in the back of the throat. Chekhov. Chekhov deserved that. Just this. Why? This, like, really ticked me off. Because this is the... Flat out, only reason that they have a woman in this episode is so she can be assaulted by Chekhov. It doesn't add anything to the plot. They don't make any kind of point about it. It's just like Chekhov gets to try to rape someone. It's a terrible trope that unfortunately pops up far too often. 
and it's it's very very well past time to retire it even back when this episode first aired yeah it's been pointed out a lot especially uh more recently in movies and tv shows where they're like if you want to show how bad something is you show a woman getting sexually assaulted or raped and that's just like oh yeah look how much of a problem things are there are better ways to show someone being evil, guys. Yeah, and then you don't even address the terrible, horrible thing that happened to someone because they're just a background prop to show how awful things have gotten. Indeed. So, yeah, that's that's really cheapening something that is actually terrible and, you know, trying to make light of something that is, you know, should be given a lot more weight than it is in here. Yeah. So they take Chekhov back to sickbay where McCoy is busy, but he says that everyone's healing really weirdly fast from wounds they shouldn't normally be able to recover from, almost like something wants to keep them alive and fighting. Wait a moment. We're all immortals now? Yep. Maybe all the sword stuff started to make more sense. They take Mara to find the alien to prove that it's the alien doing things, and they find it, and it's a glowy red ball on the ceiling. Then a big guard suddenly appears from somewhere. He was in sickbay or something, but he just suddenly shows up. It's like, hey, I'm ready to kill some Klingons. Okay, dude, we're, we got this other thing yeah. to take care of right now. Um, and then Kirk goes, stand down, dude. And he tries to attack them anyway and gets knocked out. And as soon as he gets knocked out and stops trying to fight, the little ball turns from red to yellow. Um, Red light, yellow light, I guess? Yet this apparently is how we are supposed to figure out that the ball wants them to be angry and fighting and heals them and gives them ineffective weaponry and balances their numbers all to prolong conflict. An endless series of you know, uh, you know, hateful interactions and violence that will feed its its lust for, I guess, bad vibes. Kirk tries to contact Kang, but Mara yells that it's a trick for some reason. Yeah, I don't know what her motivations are here. <laughs> and Kang refuses to respond. To make things worse, Scotty has discovered that the dilithium crystals are breaking down and soon they'll be out of the galaxy and out of fuel. So they're going to be sort of stranded out in the middle of nowhere. Yep. That's going to suck. They decide to make one more attempt to get Kang to the bargaining table, this time threatening that if he doesn't talk to them, they'll kill Mara. I guess Kang kind of correctly uh, calls Kirk's bluff here, but for kind of different reasons than he really should have. <laughs> well, he's just like, well, we're Klingons. It's fine. We all knew we were going to die anyway. So whatever. <laughs> Well, you know, really knowing his enemy, he should be like, yeah, you're Federation. You don't hold hostages like this. Go, go to hell. Yep. Kirk gets really pissed that he called his bluff and Mara's all confused that they didn't kill her. And it's like, oh, well, maybe you're not as horrible as I thought. The alien probably is the real threat. And now I want to help. Oh, uh, OK. Uh, so the important thing is if you have a prisoner who's uncooperative, threaten to kill them and then don't. And then they'll immediately do whatever you want. Not sure how that, that's, that's quite how it works here, uh, but, but moving on. <laughs> they want to get to Kang, but they don't have time to fight their way through to him in order to convince him, so they decide to try the super dangerous, completely untested, never-before-done thing of transporting from one part of the ship to another. You're okay with transporting, you know, hundreds of miles through space onto a planet's surface, and are very good at doing that perfectly. You can't do it at a short range. So the thing that they say is that the ship is just too crowded, which makes sense, but they've beamed into, like, 
buildings and rooms. So they have to be super precise so they don't wind up in a wall or some such. But to me, this just means that what they really should be doing is only ever transporting down to super wide open spaces that are completely empty and several feet above the ground so that they don't accidentally sink their feet into the soil. That would make sense. And then, you know, a passing butterfly just winds up in your heart and you die instantly. Transporting is kind of horrible. <laughs> if we're to believe that the way the transporting works, which we've seen in other things, like act, transporter accidents, like being beamed into walls or some such, and it just fuses you with whatever happens to be in the environment at that time, doesn't that mean anytime you beam down anywhere, you would just suddenly get infused with a lot of random dust particles and pollen and other things that probably shouldn't be infused into you? Indeed, and now there's uh, you know bubbles of air in your uh, in your veins and things like that. That's gonna be painful. Yeah. So all of this sounds awful. Yes. So transporters are terrible. <laughs> they need uh, insane precision to not beam inside of a wall. So Kirk and Mira decide that they are gonna transport in anyway. And the last minute, Kirk decides to leave his sword. It's a show of peace. Good, actually. If you're if you're trying to like, you know, say, hey, I'm not here to fight. We should stop fighting. I'm not going to fight you. That's kind of the first step. So I guess good on him. They appear in engineering, where Kang decides that he's going to kill Kirk anyway, no matter what he has to say. So Mara throws him a sword. At the same time, a group of Federation guards led by McCoy attack the Klingons outside. Now they're fighting everywhere. Ah, I guess this whole baking peace thing is not going to work out then. Kirk manages to gain the upper hand, but is still trying to explain to Kang that this is all pointless and they're fighting just to fight for no reason at all. He throws his sword away. Well, um, Kang, are you gonna, you know, are you gonna take this this opportunity and and ignore it? Spock and McCoy enter to find Kirk at sword point. Kang wavering about whether or not he believes him and wants him dead. McCoy suggests that they jump him, but Spock points out that if they force Kang to stop fighting, he hasn't really stopped fighting. That's a good point. Yeah. So they need to wait for Kang to choose whether or not he wants to stop fighting. Kang finally does decide to throw down his sword and believe Kirk that there's a weird alien thingy forcing them to fight. All right, people are coming together. They're they're sort of realizing, okay, there is a there is a bigger problem here than our beef. Oh, all right, let's. Uh... Kirk gets on the intercom and tells his people to stop fighting, which they don't. And then Kang gets on the intercom and tells his people to stop fighting, and then everyone stops fighting. Yeah. Okay. So so we're good. We're. We've put down our weapons. The armistice is beginning. They walk over and confront the creature, which is the little glowy ball. Now it's on top of the stairs. Just watching them, I guess, or floating there. I guess it wanted to be close to the center of action. They tell it that they don't have power anymore, and then they start just laughing at it. <laughs> Aha, because, you know, if it's, if it's fueled by anger and negative emotions, it should be unfueled by laughter and mirth and such. I don't know. This might not work, guys. Uh, there is there is something else we could try. Who's up for an orgy? <laughs> I, f I feel like I've seen that somewhere. <laughs> well, then Kirk, Kang, and everybody just start laughing together, and ah, and the energy ball leaves to go mess with other people, I guess. Well, if they were, like, past the edge of the galaxy, maybe it's just lost to deep space now forever. That'd be nice. Go right. away, otherwise we'll laugh at you again. So that was the day of the dove, and it had a very strong message of let's not fight because angry red balls are forcing us to fight. Indeed. <laughs> you have to overcome the evil influence of the balls. The, 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 the evil floating ball of doom is perhaps, perhaps a metaphor for something. For balls. Among other things. <laughs> you can't make up this kind of interpretation. 
<laughs> but I, I guess more seriously, though, uh, this is sort of drawing a, a good point that there are situations in the world where there are uh, outside elements that are that, that benefit from uh, people having conflict amongst each other, that they uh, feed off through various means, uh, you know, that, that, that hostile interaction in order to benefit themselves at the expense of those who are, you know, facing off against each other. Uh, you know, the, I guess the classic example is uh, people that sell uh, military hardware to both sides in a conflict. Uh, they are making a buck while people are getting themselves killed over whatever, you know, cause or whatever that they may believe in. Um, but the only person who's really winning is the person selling everyone the bullets. Yeah, and it's an interesting interpretation on that side. The thing does supply them with equal weapons so that it doesn't end too fast mm -hmm. and is benefiting directly off of their rage and whatever. It's an interesting one in there because that is precisely what the United States was doing during the entirety of the Cold War. Whoops. <laughs> like, hmm, if we uh, keep our antagonists over here facing off against, you know, you know other folks in the area... Hmm. We can. We don't have to worry about them, say, spreading their evil communism across the, the world or something. It's not directly pointed out, too, but they they do talk a lot about how the thing is manipulating their minds and making them more angry and doing all this other junk. But one of the things that they specifically say it does is induce racial hatred. Hmm. And it is one of the only times I've seen in one of these shows, even though they didn't directly say it, where the racism that they're talking about is coming from an external force and being put on you as an idea that you wouldn't normally prescribe to. Instead of it just being this thing that happens and you can maybe overcome, but it's a completely natural thing that's always going to happen. Say, so, uh, you know, encouraging a habit, you know, feeding it, adding lots of fuel to it and inciting it whenever possible. And they specifically call out some things like how the Klingons already have like propaganda against what the Federation would do and things like that. Uh, but the energy ball is like making them believe more things and taking in, giving them reasons to fight and stuff, which I do think is a little bit of a weird problem for the peace message of the episode. Because if, are they saying that if, for example, Chekhov really had had a brother and that brother really was killed by the Klingons, he would have had a good reason to want to kill them all. But because the energy being made it up, he doesn't. I'd say that the if he had a brother who had been killed and the, and the rest of things had played out basically as they did, uh, it would still be an instance where that uh, past harm is being exploited for the use of the energy being, uh, even if it did not... You know, you make it all up in the first place, because uh, you know, you know, this. I guess this kind of reminds me a lot of uh, a very sort of, I guess, present day um, uh, disinformation campaigns. That if you can, you know, the, the the best propaganda that you can push forward is stuff that is based on something that actually happened. While you know, but if you don't got that, you can still make up stuff. Uh, and so, you know, there, it would still be sort of a very similar dynamic, and. Thus, in this situation, you know, if you were just sort of looking at how these things are putting together here, it would still be a good idea to lay down your weapon. Um, but as far as yeah, anger being justified enough to go on a killing spree, I don't think that's a good thing either. <laughs> Even if in a, a situation external to this, 
you know, it, you know, which uh, you might still come off as an okay thing, uh, given that this episode doesn't really address that at all. Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel that there's kind of an interesting mix in this. And possibly just because they had to put it on an external force, because it's good to have it on the external force as mm-hmm. like, you know, you wouldn't normally be fighting except someone else has convinced you to do so. But it's also interesting how they they still put it on the individual people having been influenced by this other thing. Because if if you look at, at you know something like a war, not every individual person fighting in the war fully agrees and hates the enemy and whatever, or wouldn't necessarily rather be doing something else. A lot of people are forced into the situation and couldn't leave if they wanted to. Which they yeah, also do set up in this, but they still have it like, you know, each individual is dealing with the racism and anger and stuff, which I'm not saying doesn't happen, but it's it's basically saying that the way that this conflict happened is that this thing convinced every single individual that the Klingons are an evil people that they need to attack. Yeah, this is, uh, I guess, a very reduced sort of situation, It you know, so it's it sort of extrapolating it to the full realities of a armed conflict, uh, you know, in, in the real world is uh, a little hard to do. So, you know, I, I guess it does very much leave out that aspect of it. Yeah. And then they always have to introduce some extra, while I agree with their point about the general pointlessness of just killing each other for no particular reason, uh, they like they're it leaves open the discussion for is there a reason and should you be able to fight with it? Because this conflict that they set up here is completely purposeless. Mm-hmm. Like if they just stopped fighting, there is no particular downside. Uh, there's not a resource allocation discrepancy or issue. Like there's there's no particular reason that they started fighting in the first place. At one point, they kind of mentioned that the Klingon colonies are you know, poor, poor areas and they have to like reach out and fight so that they can gather resources. But that's not what is happening in this particular conflict, which is very, very divorced from any sort of larger conflict that the Federation and Klingons are having. It's just this group of 60 some odd people. Well, I'd actually uh, disagree slightly there because the, you know, the Klingons have lost their own ship. It was heavily damaged by the entity. Uh, and so the, the the resource that they're fighting over is control of the ship itself, uh, and you know it might not be much in terms of resources, but it is sort of the I guess the the prime bit of territory that they're you know you know trying to take control of here. Well, that is true. So then I guess my criticism would expand to they never really dealt with that. Not really, no. <laughs> they just stop fighting, and I guess you're meant to assume that they're all friends now and they're going to just drop them off at the nearest Klingon wherever. But we have no idea what they're planning to do. They may all just be all political prisoners now. That is true. I guess given that uh, you know Kirk's trying to be a better person in this episode, um, mostly successful, not always, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe you know, this is an instance where they'll, they'll not be just shoving them in a prison camp or something like that so i just have this kind of thing that when you were when you're drawing lines like this when you're when you're constructing a situation in which fighting is pointless because everyone's immortal and you don't have any particular thing that you're fighting over and it's being influenced with this other thing it's like okay in this one circumstance the fighting was pointless but then what does that say about it when 
you do have something that you are fighting over. Yeah, I guess going back to sort of uh, metaphorical sort of uh, views of here, you could have the immortality in the you know capsule of the Enterprise here, but in a real world situation, you would have uh, the, the the standing armies of the various nations facing off against each other. Uh, or other groups, whatever. And you would have a situation where, yes, uh, during the conflict, a number of them uh, die, but there are new recruits that replace them. Uh, and as, as long as the uh, conflict is not ever to the point where one side is overwhelmingly destroying the other, they'll be able to keep up this sort of activity uh, of constantly replacing their numbers and perpetuating the conflict. Which is an interesting one, because that's like... While I agree, and I'm not trying to make an argument for this kind of conflict, it's interesting to look at it when people talk about it as well. We're, we're just killing each other, and eventually so many of us will be dead, and so many of you will be dead that it will have been pointless. But that's the entire theory. The basic idea is we are going to throw resources at each other until one of us runs out of resources and they lose. And while I don't think that that is a... I think that there are some very, very valid points to be made about that being a stupid way to resolve issues, that is the general theory that we are operating under when we are in a war conflict like that. The, but I guess in this situation, there is in the, in this external uh, you know, uh, force that is exploiting the, uh, the, the, the nature of conflict itself uh, is, is a a factor that must be addressed that everyone else that's actually you know, on the ground level of the conflict is very eager to sort of dismiss or pretend doesn't, isn't there. Uh, and then, you know, maybe if, you know, you know, you're taking a step back is, you know, maybe co most conflicts in the world, maybe there is something like this going on here that is getting us, you know, started off in the first place so that the, the, the this notion that there is always going to be, you know, a just war or something like that, is perhaps ridiculous to a certain level. Um, you know, there, there's that's a whole sort of you know can you know, you know, you know a box of things you could talk about there specifically, but that might be one way to sort of interpret you know the message here that there is always this external entity pushing for the fight. Yes, I think that is a good way to interpret some of this. Uh, I do, but I do think that. Uh, it's worth looking at how they wind up resolving the conflict in the end. Because they do this a couple times throughout the episode, in fact. Mm -hmm. And the basic theory seems to be that the person or persons, the side, which is the Federation in this case, because the Klingons never even consider, they're never even shown considering for a second that they could maybe stop fighting. So the, you know, good guys have to achieve a position of enough power that they can demonstrate how good they are by not executing that power in order to kill people and that is what is going to stop the fighting yeah that that's something that has popped up several times in star trek itself uh you know even so far in what we've covered yeah it pops uh, up in a lot of things yeah in a lot of other things too it's a very you know uh mid-century to the new century american idea it's the whole police force of the world peace through strength we have the largest military, we have the best ability to go into conflicts, we have overwhelming forces, therefore we get to maintain peace through the threat that we could kill you anytime we wanted. Sort of a, might makes right, but 
we are going to smile about it more. Yeah, it's basically we get you at knife point and then by choosing to not kill you, even though we totally could, we have demonstrated to you how pointless fighting is. But we're basically saying it is pointless for you to fight me because you will lose. So why don't you just agree to stop fighting? Yeah, it's not fighting is is, is terrible because fighting is terrible. It's this particular kind of uh, interaction in this particular context that's bad. And so that doesn't really help people like in the long term learn to maybe get along with each other more. Because they even show it. It's a, it's a weird ending because Kirk shows up without a weapon and says, hey, we should stop fighting because there's, you know, things bigger than us that are causing this to continue. And us fighting is pretty pointless. Mm-hmm. Then he gets attacked and has to gain the upper hand in the conflict. Then he says then he throws his sword away and winds up in exactly the same position he was at the beginning having his life threatened and making the point that killing him would be pointless because there's a larger entity in play that is making fighting pointless but this time he's listened to because he previously demonstrated that he's actually stronger but he's choosing not to use it indeed so the message would completely change if they cut out the middle fight because he could still just show up be threatened and make his point Mm-hmm. But he can't make the point from a position of, you know, uh, from the lower position of power because you just, you know, you won't listen to the person who's in a lower position of power. Uh, you, 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 but I guess the, yeah, in order to get the uh, the action question for the week, they had to have, you know, it's like, well, we've had some sword fighting. We need an all out sword fight. Just Yeah, they once. had to do the Kirk versus Kang good versus evil sword fight thing. But it very much undermines any kind of message they're going for. They also (laughs) still have the Americans stand in being the Federation is just better because they have been trained in peace and they have peace ideals and whatever. And their betterness is finally able to convince the poor, unfortunate Klingons that their ways are better. But they never, never once, not a single Klingon in this entire thing goes, hey, do we have to keep fighting these people? This, this conversation reminds me of another Star Trek episode that happens a lot later. Uh, the, uh, the Deep Space Nine episode where Quark gets himself married to a Klingon. You know the one I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, the climax of that one is that Quark's supposed to face off against this uh, Klingon warrior because he's impinged his honor and things like that. And he's given a battle and is like, uh, okay, I'm here to fight, and I'm going to be really insulting this guy. And then the fight starts, and he just throws his sword away. It's like, yeah, because this is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and uh, the, uh, the the other guy you know, in the conflict there is like, oh, okay, I'll just kill you. But the other Klingons are like, no, he's right. This is ridiculous. <laughs> well, that one wasn't too bad because it is kind of playing off of the... That idea is, you know... We both have to be involved in this stupid thing for it to stop being stupid. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just fighting a defenseless, unarmed person, and what's the point of that? Yeah, it's a different, uh, you know, point they're going for there. But it is. I guess I would have liked to see something very similar here uh, as well. But well, I think the like the best thing they could have done here would be to have like. Maybe the heads or like second in commands, possibly, but someone high enough up the chain that they could keep things going, being like skeptical that there was something else happening, other people figuring it out, but on both sides. Like the Klingons had access to the science scanners and whatever, too. They could have found the other entity. 
Indeed. But they remained completely unaware that anything else was going on. The Klingons are just pretty stupid. They, I, I, in their defense, they might be a little distracted and they're on a ship they're not familiar with, but still, yeah. Yeah, but in the context of how they're writing the story, the Klingons are just evil, 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 violent, violent until the Federation just stops fighting a little bit. And then they go like, oh, you're right. We didn't have to be doing that. Uh, I, I will say that I was kind of expecting there to be exactly this alternative ending, uh, especially since we've already played up that McCoy and Chekhov are kind of going loose cannon here already. Uh, and yeah, just you just needed one of the Klingons to go, no, at the end, you know, when, uh, you know, Kang is, you know, trying, it's like, okay, Kirk, I'll hear you out. And maybe you're right. Let's, let's check this stuff out, maybe. Um, and then, you know, and then that second command would, you know, get in a fight and, you know, uh, you know, and then you could have your, your sword fight action scene while Kirk and Kang are suddenly teaming up instead of fi- facing off against each other. Yeah, they could have even just had McCoy and some other Klingon, like, both stab each other, and then you're like, oh my god, see, we're just both killing each other, and it is pointless. That would have been awesome. Despite the what-if, I still overall uh, rather like this episode. Yeah, it had a (laughs) consistent message that it went for, and I'm not trying to, like, ding it on that, but having a consistent message that it went for, you get to discuss the message and ways that it pulled it off. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's more effective than others, so... And I do think there's still a couple of unintentional things that kind of just reveal how the United States and people in it were thinking about conflict at the time. Like, maybe, you know, us and the higher-ups are keeping this conflict going, but, you know, the other people aren't going to stop. We could convince them to stop, maybe, if we tried really hard and held them at sword point and said, we're going to stop fighting now. So, there, it is, I guess, very much limited by the uh, the attitudes of the time. Once again, the only thing that I, uh, the only other thing that I'll say about this episode, because I think we've run a little bit through most of what I had, but just completely unrelated to any of the like philosophy or things that it's pushing, I was always a little bit disappointed because I'd heard of this episode and like half seen it when I was younger. Is that they never revisited this idea in later series, just as a. It would be kind of a cool one, and I don't know what they would do with the rest of the episode. Like, what if you had an exploratory ship going out, and they find a weird derelict vessel that has been lost for a hundred years, and then they find that it's one of these entities, and the crew on board has just been endlessly killing each other? I think there has been some things sort of, I guess, taking elements of this. Uh, I remember uh, in, uh, there was a one episode of, again, Deep Space Nine, or is a planet where there's like nanites that just resurrect people and everyone's just fighting because, but you know, that's yeah, they did it with that and they've done it in a couple other series, but I don't like the things like, why did they have to invent the nanites and stuff? They already have this alien. Exactly. <laughs> just have this alien hanging on this planet and it's not interested in ever leaving. So <laughs> no, I guess the thing with the nanites is more interesting because you don't have like the problem with this alien particularly, and it's why they probably used other methods to achieve the same effect in later series is this alien is, you know, directly manipulating people into fighting. So once the alien leaves, you're done yeah. in the other things, the people are still fighting, even though they know it's pointless to keep fighting. Indeed. Sort of a different sort of thing to talk about. And they're doing it because they are doing it, not because something else is influencing them to think that fighting is a good idea even when it's pointless. Something like this could pop up again. That would be pretty cool. Hey, Discovery. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I didn't have anything else particularly. 
Uh, I guess that's um, most of what I want to talk about. Uh, I did want to draw a little bit, uh, you know, back to uh, the the modern uh, disinformation campaigns and things like that, especially stuff you see online is, you know, you don't even need to necessarily convince uh, someone to say something outrageous. You just get a fake account up to say that outrageous thing. And if you have enough fake accounts, you know, basically pushing, you know, the, the equivalent of the Klingons killed my brother, even though it's completely made up, there are going to be people that are going to uh, take up the the uh, the the flag for you and fight for uh, for you, even though you're not a real person. Uh, so when you go out there interacting in the world, be very careful about that sort of thing. Yeah, they did have a little with that since I guess Chekhov didn't have any friends who knew about his family. It was just like, oh, Klingons killed his brother. Understandable. And then the one guy who knows what's going on is like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, so so I, I guess, uh, you know, we, we are still independent actors and we are capable of making decisions. We can, we can still decide to say, you know what? This sounds like something horrible here, but I am not going to perpetuate this hatred forward. Uh, and so maybe we can live in a better world that way. Hey, it's one of these episodes where we got to, maybe we can live in a better world instead of all is lost. And why are we keep watching these things? Hooray. <laughs> I'm going to count that as a win. <laughs> okay. I think we should just carry that momentum forward and say, it's time for the galaxy's favorite game show. Ooh, Hey everybody, welcome back to the game show portion of the show once more. Our various contestants have racked up a lot of po good points today, and I'm quite impressed, I'm quite impressed. I do think, though, we got a few winners to announce at this point. Uh, Gepwin, are you ready? I am ready. Oh, I hope hope we're all ready, because we got four awards to pop, uh, hand out this week. Um, I might add tack on a <laughs> uh, another one at the end here real quick, but but uh, the first one is the Sufficiently Advanced Aliens Award. Uh Goes to that entity because it just kind of magics up stuff and bends people's minds and all that. What does it win, Gepwin? The alien entity gets a gamer tag. If you want to survive off of pointless hatred, vitriol, and conflict, you'd need an Xbox. <laughs> oh, that's quite right. Um, I've only uh, used my, uh, my, uh, my PlayStation 3 a few times to uh, interact with people online, and every single time it was just... So much disappointment. <laughs> Our second award is the Mind Over Mind, which also goes to the entity uh, for convincing Chekhov to avenge his non-existent brother, among other things, and generally cause mischief. What does it win this for that there? Well, again, the entity, as we've already been saying, gets to have one of those Russian bot accounts. This way it can make money off of convincing people that their brothers have been killed in wars. Well, uh, I guess we should probably watch out for that. Uh, be careful on there on Twitter today. Um, our third award is the Highlander Award. <laughs> Guess you guys didn't expect that one to come on. Uh, with all these swords and things like that. This one goes to the crew and the Klingons and, and basically everybody except the alien. Because uh, they're all now immortal and running around with swords trying to chop each other up. What do they win? I think they get to win actual claymores this time. Hmm. So that would have been slightly more interesting, even though very ineffective to be used in hallway fights. Yes, but potentially hilarious. Everyone tries to swing it up, and it just hits the ceiling, and they fling it to the side, hits the wall. Oh, -ho. 
Uh, our fourth award is the Shoot the Hostage Award, which goes to Kang and Mara, because Kang is just so ice cold about that whole hostage-taking thing. What does he win? Kang wins a Military Intelligence Award, because for once, like, he kind of has a point in this, because negotiating with the whole hostage thing, it seems cold, but you don't have any guarantee that they're going to do any, anything right anyway, so they're either going to kill them or they're not, so giving people what they want in that situation is usually pretty fruitless. King, tip of the hat to you. Uh, the final one is something that we didn't really talk about today, but um, the, the what were they thinking award? Because once again, we got blackface. Yep, and that one, and that one goes to the uh, the production crew, of course. I think they should just, like just win better makeup. Like they they have the same kind of thing in next gen and later, but because they added other prosthetics, it's just alien makeup and not just blatantly blackface just mm-hmm. have a little creativity guys it gets you around so much yes it makes it much less awkward for us you know the viewer that's all i got get uh, take it as away yeah well we still hit racism but slightly less than other times maybe yeah also stop stop having war rape as as a plot point guys just please I know we're supposed to end this on a funny segment to get away from this, but please just stop it. Stop it. Like, just please stop it. Makes me sad. Yes. Well, thank you all for joining us on this slightly more depressing episode of the galaxy's favorite game show. All right, we have talked about next week's episode last time because I saw it coming up in the pipeline and it's based on one of my favorite ever pulp novels. For the world is hollow and I have touched the sky. That's based on Robert A. Hyland's Orphans of the Sky, which is a novel about people who have lived on a generational spaceship for so many generations that they've forgotten it as a spaceship and have built up a religion around it being the entire universe. Whoops. That's all I got to say there. <laughs> <laughs> It is kind of a fun concept, and uh, I'm kind of looking forward to next week. Uh, yeah, and I kind of want to look into the history of that. I feel like, I think this may be one of the earliest novels of this, though it might have been itself based on some other short stories and things, but I do believe that this was one of the earliest times that they used this concept. Because, uh, surprise guys, uh, traveling between stars in the actual real world where we don't have warp drive takes a really, 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 really long time. And then I do need to do a little research, because while... I'll well, when I was younger, I was told that this was directly based on this novel. I'm not sure if they, you know, got him in to do something about it. I need to look into more of that. And, uh, I'll be uh, sniffing around for trivia myself here, and maybe we'll... Uh... I do remember this episode. It's interesting. It's not done as well. And also, they, for some reason, this is one of the episodes that they decided to do a, a revisit on that Orville show, hmm. which that episode was awful. Like, I'm, so, I'm not a huge fan of that show, and I know there are some people who like it a lot more than I do, but that particular episode was just awful. I've never seen the Orville, so take your word for it. And as far as I remember, they didn't do a super great job with this episode either. But that might just be because Oops. I like the book. <laughs> well, I guess we'll uh, get to uh, have a episode of Lost in Adaptation here, I guess. <laughs> True. <laughs> Should we get uh, Dom Noble over here? If we can. <laughs> do you have an in? <laughs> Fortunately, no. I, I, I don't know him, so... <laughs> I'll find out if we're that well connected with famous YouTube people next week on Watchers of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Star Trek Generation Ship. 
You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.